Lightning Strikes Thrice is made possible by our patrons. Patrons such as Nathan and the Bear Friend Tea Party. If you want to support the show like them, you can go to pitchdrop.cash and kick in as little as a buck a month. Thank you for your support. to Lightning Strikes Thrice, the JRPG Games Club podcast that has apparently known chaos this whole time. This is Season <laughs> 7, Episode 2, covering the Utic Pursuit chapter of Xenosaga Episode 2 for the PS2. I am your host, Chris Taylor, and my pronouns are he, him. With me today is... Ryan Beatty, they, them pronouns. Kyle Thompson, he, him pronouns. I just did the uh, Manderville Mambo arm points with the elbow. I don't know why. <laughs> how i threw to people who were not in the room amazing uh <laughs> who knows so, what happened last time <laughs> well so uh yeah sybil and matt can't be with us today uh sybil has uh left some some notes for us so uh thanks for that matt was called upon to defend his motherland <laughs> um gosh last time what happened was we uh lived through the flashback of the milshin disaster with the song of nephilim and the utic through the eyes of kanan chaos and jin uzuki doing uh anime shit everywhere is essentially oh, yeah. what was happening oh yeah when you find out jin is not a weeb but is actually cool <laughs> yeah well you find out he's not a weeb he's a well, cool weeb well look yeah mm, can people who are chinese be weebs He's explicitly not Japanese, but is explicitly into Japanese culture. I'm not touching that. Because <laughs> the Uzukis, I believe Shiana is supposed to be Chinese, correct? I is that, have n- Is that? Yeah, I think that's really? what it is. I think that's what they said in the um, in the entry about Shiad in the encyclopedia from Xenosaga 1. Um, I'm, I'm looking this up. I'm looking this up. Um, oh, scared. there are spoilers all over the wiki entry for this. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I know all of this. Okay, good. That's why I don't look anything up. <laughs> There's a section. Oh, God. There's a section in her fandom wiki that's just titled Mental Health and Trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. Accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that I had a major plot point of Zeno Saga 3 spoiled for me by that redacted themed JRPG protagonist character of the day that was <laughs> redacted. And when you click on the screenshot, chaos is there. And I'm like, what the yeah. fuck? Wait. Uh, yeah, buddy, I w- buddy. I will not say anything, but I have questions. Ch- chaos is a redacted. Homie. Yeah. <laughs> A plot point I had spoiled by a tweet. (laughs) My god. Chaos is not redacted.
But anyway, also, Margulis was there, and Margulis was cool, but in a different way that I liked less than the way he used to be cool. Mm-hmm. I, I can't find anything about Shion Great, Matt, Uzuki's. you're gonna cut that out, then. Yeah. I'm almost, I'm almost certain that the Uzukis are Japanese. I have no yeah. idea. Yeah. Well, there's also, like, it's, it, there's no, um... There, there is no Earth. Like they've been out outside of like lost Jerusalem and their ethnicities for you know millennia at this point. So I don't even know. I don't even think that this game really references much of that. Anyway, yeah, they're just they're just culturally Japanese, is what I would say. Right? Because 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 Jin is a huge weep. You know, right? <sighs> it's incredible. Oh, oh, I'm so disappointed. We're not going to talk about all the amazing cutscenes with Jin and Shion. Uh, yeah, well, in in due time, oh. we, will, we'll, we will get to. Imagine if Shion's old voice actor was there. So the only thing she was good at was sounding indignant. Yeah, oh uh, my god, it would be incredible. She was really good at that, to be fair. Current Shion is on Quaaludes! It sucks. <laughs> it sucks. Chaos's new voice. Uh, th- I hate it. I hate it. Yep. So, we start today's episode in the present day. Uh, we cut to Kanan undergoing maintenance on Second Milsha. The entire tutorial dungeon turned out to be an encephalon dive into his memory of the conflict to try and find the Y data. Every time they attempt this, this is try number 127, it cuts off when that shadow touches him, and they have been trying for over a decade. Helmer has called for him, and so the scientist goes, hey, tell him your results while you're there. It's my kid's birthday. And Kanan's like, no, <laughs> come back here. You can't go to your kid's birthday. And then the guy just fucking leaves anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, we learn here that Kanan uh, has depressed emotions by design. Uh, we also learn that Jin has since left the military. And uh, I think these are these are both important little little notes that, like, Oh, oh. K- Kanan's it, it doesn't matter that Kanan's voice actor is extremely sleepy and stoic because his whole deal is that he is designed to be unemotional in order to protect him from uh all of the scary shit that he's up against. It's bad but on purpose. <laughs> yeah. We I mean that's no excuse for chaos, but anyway, uh <laughs> Wait, we also more- learn here that uh uh Jin was working for Helmer on Milsha. Right. Correct. Not not for the military, but Helmer directly. Yep. Yeah. Like on a special op. Who is more depressed sounding, Xenosaga 2 Shion or Yuna? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Very oh. similar energy. Uh Xenosaga yeah. 2 Shion just because she never laughs. That's true. That's it. True, true. At Helmer's office, uh, Kanan's next mission is to protect Momo and get her to an encephalon dive. Uh, we also find out here that the immigrant fleet is now an issue. Yeah, uh, it's just the Pope and his homies. Yeah, essentially, yeah. So then we we cut to the Space Pope, uh, who is the head of UTIC. So the Space Pope is the head of the terrorist organization that has infiltrated the galactic government. Uh, People call him Your Holiness. Uh, So, you know, I've been missing the space Catholicism. We finally have the space Catholicism. It's a Mm -hmm. lot. His his, uh, cool Pope room is really 
Sick. It's so fucking uh, funny that he has a cool Pope room and then he walks out of it onto a stereotypical spaceship bridge. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I gotta say, whoever did the uh, the sort of set design there really knocked it out of the park. It is just so much. Yep. Absolutely. Fucking fake stained glass window on the roof with a big cross and the Orbis symbol and like giant organ in the back for no apparent reason. Amazing. Uh, It's it's so good. It's great because like generally the set design in this game is, is one of its biggest failings. It looks so bland and boring in all of its environments. And so this one scene really stands out. I, I for think that it looks too. good, but only because the previous point of comparison is Xenosaga one. <laughs> I yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. It was like, y'all are ragging on this game's uh, graphics a lot in the generalities, but I got to say like, this is a fucking PS two game. Well, it's, like it's the aesthetics that are the problem. I think, right? Like it's the art direction. Yeah. It, it definitely yeah, it's has like, problems. It's the fact that, like, and we'll get to this when we get to the actual gameplay portion of the episode, but, like, Second Milsha looks like a city built entirely out of parking garages, you know? Like, it just... Tall Momo and Call Chaos gross me out. Yeah, also that. Which, I mean, a city built entirely of parking garages does feel like what a Japanese person would imagine the future to look like, I gotta say. (laughs) Because that's kind of what Japan feels like when you're okay. there and you're like in an <laughs> urban environment. <laughs> the organ implies that he does like holographic church service that gets projected to the fleet. Because why else would you have an organ, Hell right? Yeah. So the Pope is just like doing yeah. space mass. Mm-hmm. And like, is he the organist as well as the sermon giver? Oh, oh. Like... Does he does he do like is he like doing vocals and keyboard at the same time? <laughs> like a what's his name? What's his name? Re- the the comedian that does all the song shit on the piano, Reggie something. Oh, Reggie Watts. Yeah, um, <laughs> just the yeah. Pope doing Reggie Reggie Watts service. <laughs> uh, so a gynoid named Orgula is in this scene and everyone's going to pretend that she's a recurring villain for this game. Uh, she's so forgettable that she's excised entirely from the DS port slash remake. Yeah, just, just kind of there. Uh, Margulis <laughs> calls the Pope and, uh, gets chewed out, uh, for being shady as fuck. Um, and then throws uh, shade at one of his fellow commanders to escape unscathed. The Pope also has a real problem with Albedo, which who doesn't? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hashtag Albedo did nothing wrong. That's I'm I'm going to be an Albedo defender. I but I yeah. I'm immediately taking that back after I remember Albedo's actions in the first game. Yeah, <laughs> never like, mind. Are, are, is is that is that really the hill you want to die on there? Uh, <laughs> just uh, the 180 that our show did from being like oh man he's such a cool sicko to oh no he's a sicko uh, yeah. was. but he can still be a cool sicko <laughs> that's the problem uh, because it rolls when he gets yeah. his arm blown off and then laughs about it 
<laughs> yeah, but you know, uh, all of the other absolutely horrific shit that he did, not as cool. Lo- love yeah, to give it- people the mind killer virus. <laughs> he's he's got like what if clockwork orange but a super villain kind of vibes um, yeah you know it's so weird that they cut out orgula because orgula is where a where you can be soft locked in this game and b where the mm. game takes a 180 to everything is extremely hard all the time yeah true <sighs> my god Okay, aboard his own ship, uh, as, you know, his, his cool inquisitor ship, uh, Margulis proceeds with his own plans with the aid of Pellegree, who I bet at least one of my co-hosts <laughs> thought was Orgula You can just put second. my name in here, fuck I, you. <laughs> yeah. Sybil <laughs> uh, uh, calling us out from beyond the podcast right yes. now. Yes. Yes, I am speaking with the voice of Sybil there. Um, have, have fun in jail or wherever you are. Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, Mar- Margulis authorizes her to use the ES. And this is where we get the speech about how these things are powered by relics of Anima, a bunch of potent artifacts found around the Zohar at one point. Look, I know they're trying to say it correctly by saying Anima, but I hate that. Just say it wrong mm-hmm. the way everyone else does, please. How, how else would you say it? They, they say, it the, say it the way they say it in like Final Fantasy X. Just say anima. It's fine. Anima. <laughs> oh, like anime. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> um, yeah, so this is where they introduced the ESs, right? Uh, or no, this isn't. It was in the, the yeah, last we one. Had... But we get to see another one here, and we establish that they're super old. Yeah, but here. this one isn't cool. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. The other one is cool. This one, not cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Um, it, it, and it's, it's, so it's interesting, like, not only are the robots that we're using, like, much larger and more powerful than eggs uh, from the first game, but also they're a thousand years old. Yeah. Um, and they apparently have the power to take out the military force of an entire star system. Yeah, they're Gundams. Yeah, they're they're Gundams versus Votoms is basically what's going on here. Yeah. In short, everyone is breaking out God's war robots because eggs all suck now. They sure do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just want to point out that uh, the Space Pope... And Margulis uh, mention dogma, and so there, there is uh, which matters more, the will of the Pope or the dogma of the religion itself conflict going on within Utic a little bit right now. Uh, I'm not sure if that will come to a head or not, but well, I want to point it out. Not just that, but there's that other guy, and they basically strongly imply that there's like an ongoing schism right now, which is why Margulis oh, well, says, yeah. fuck that Pope, he weak shit. Yeah, and that dude's name uh, is Cardinal Heinlein, which Hell is yeah. uh, love love the love the on the nose sci fi <laughs> reference there. Uh, super great. Yeah, wow, the cardinal cardinal who wrote Starship Troopers and invented Mecha. Yeah, <laughs> in, in, amazing. <laughs> I love him. But yeah, that's a <clears throat> that is a character that will remain a mystery. 
And at this point, we finally resume with the actual party from the first game, and we get a recap of the last game, which is hilariously inadequate. Mm-hmm. I have a note from Sybil that says the narration was very clearly slotted in late in development. For some reason, the entirety of this cutscene has no subtitles, and she's pretty sure it was reusing Xion's log transmission from the last game if it also did not mention the ending of Xenosaga 1, which it does not. Mm-mm. Of note in this scene, the explanation for why Xion no longer wears glasses, a thing I didn't notice, is that <laughs> Alan bumped into her and stepped on them, which yeah. is incredible given that the lenses are fucking holographic and Xion is like just like engineer S tier. Unbelievable. Yeah. And like they they modeled the glasses for this scene and then also any flashback scenes uh but they were just like no we we think we think that even with the gross ass like house of wax redesign that all the models got that makes them slide off the memory entirely we're going to make her even less distinct by getting rid of one of her iconic uh looks bro have you have you seen miyuki yet that is rough no not yet I, I think Xion looks like an off-brand Yuna yeah. now. Um, mm-hmm. It is not. It is not yeah, good. Nope. I do not endorse that model change at all. Wide nose, bad on Xion. Um, speaking of mm-hmm. bad redesign choices, uh, Cosmos's hair now has a strobing fiber optic effect, which looks so bad to me. <laughs> uh, the notes here says <laughs> that it's cool. I will say it. I, I played this on the original hardware in 480i on a CRT, and it doesn't look that bad on there. Like, it kind of makes it look okay. Let me tell you, blown up to 4K internal rendering resolution with, like, 16 times anti-aliasing looks very bad. Everything else looks mm-hmm. great, but that effect stands out as very, like, lo-fi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing that I do want to point out about the the scene where Alan bumps into she- to Shion and then steps on her glasses is that um, despite all of our correct and rightful complaining about the terrible new models, uh, the rigging and animation uh, is actually, like, it makes for some pretty good physical comedy uh, for, for PS2 models. So, you know, congrats for that. Again, the scene direction in this game is is really good so far. It's it's just the the look of the characters that's so bad. And it's all in engine. It's yeah, in it's a- engine on the PS2. And they're doing like all kinds of like really fast uh, camera motion, uh, like all these dynamic camera angles, tons of stuff happening on screen. And it's all in engine. It's really technically impressive, even mm-hmm. if like, yeah, the the thing is that the, the character animation inside the cutscenes is really good and mm-hmm. outside of the cutscenes is awkward as fuck. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is a problem. For sure. So we then pull into the airport and disembark, which splits the party into a few groups. Uh, Shion, Allen, and Cosmos are going to report to Vector 2nd Division. Uh, Junior is going to do something about the government. Uh, Ziggy and Momo are going to go call their boss because this was technically his ins- his assignment the entire time. Uh, and so we're going to follow Ziggy and Momo for the next cutscene. Um, Junior so- is going to report to Helmer, who pays him a billion dollars to just fly around and fuck off. Yeah. Well, um, he but but 
first, uh, he does go see Dr. Mizrahi, um, who who has been his boss up until this point. No, I mean Junior is doing that. That's what Junior is doing. Oh, sorry, Junior, Junior, Junior. My bad. Yes, yes. Well, it's not you know, something junior something government. It, it's to kiss the ass of the guy who pays my organization on the sly to be their secret military because we're not allowed to have one. Right. Yeah. Uh, the the Kukai Foundation's uh, relationship with Representative Helmer is uh, extremely shady and convenient. Oh, oh, when we talk to NPCs here, by the way, my favorite NPC says... I can't believe we thought I thought I was going to die or that space station almost fell on us. Also, can you believe the letter is my letter is slightly delayed? Incredible. (laughs) 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 So in the previous scene with uh, Shion, Cosmos and Alan, we also again uh, like get the dead X as MacGuffin thing that happens throughout Xenosaga where um, the secrets of Cosmos's design are also tied to uh, Kevin, Shion's ex, and so we get, like, you know, sad dead boyfriend plot point and also uh, mystery robot plot point intertwined the entire time. I am willing to bet that Kevin is not dead. I do not know. Um, I, I, yeah. 100% bet. Ke- Kevin, <laughs> is, Kevin is one of the dumbasses in the capes. Oh, maybe one of the testaments or whatever yeah. their fucking name is. The the Kingdom Hearts people, <laughs> whatever their name, whatever their name is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they do have Organization Thirteen Energy. Virgil is so good in that. I'm so glad yeah. Virgil is around. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Ziggy, or as Doctor Mizrahi has begun calling him for no reason at all. Yon Sour, because uh, the beginning of this game is extremely into discussing dead names all the time, uh, mm. is to continue his mission until the Realian girl is finally in government custody. Sorry, I'm DMing Matt that our episode title should be Sour Grapes. <laughs> okay. okay. Carry on. She covers extremely poorly for the shock of Momo wants to see you again, and even Junior, who is eavesdropping, remarks on it. So this was very strange to me because the line read from Julie sounds like she's trying to accept Momo, but maybe that's not what the intention of the line was. Like, when it was written? (laughs) The thing with Yuli and Momo is weird to me, because all of the characters are like, man, I can't believe Yuli is being such a bitch. And I'm like, but that's the perspective I empathize with, is like, she is correct that the existence of Momo is weird and being forced Mm -hmm. upon her in a way that... It's, yes. it's it's real. The situation is very fucked up, right? Like your crazy husband who did the apocalypse made a robot that looks like your dead daughter and programmed her to want to hang out with you, even though you're really fucked up yeah. about how your kid died. Yeah, yeah, no, it's one hundred percent. And I, I think everyone recognizes the situation is fucked. But up. they're all like, "Why won't you like, just be nice to her, please?" Yeah. Yeah, it, it, they 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 do they do try to cast Mizrahi as like uh, unfeeling instead of traumatized. Yeah, but she's correct sometimes. Yeah, she's absolutely correct. 
you know, Dr. Yuli Mizrahi is into some shady shit. You know, she is part of a secret uh, organization who uh, also wants to pull shenanigans with the Y data. Like, they're also looking for lost Jerusalem or New Jerusalem or whatever. They're just, you know, not the UTIC. Yeah. So, Ziggy, who we've mentioned, has gone from looking like Bowie to looking like Odo, uh, <laughs> is then offered to be upgraded to a carbon-based Realian body. But in the most depressing line of the series, he passes, saying, I have no desire to prolong things. Uh, we are now free to move about the I cabin. I love, in his redesign, you can now see his dumb arm jackknife. Instead of mm-hmm. it magically appearing, yes. you can see like the slot where it sticks out a little bit in the hinge. Pretty cool. That is cool. I, I at least I appreciated Junior saying to him, like, well, I accept the fact that you want to die, but Momo like, would like that. Maybe, you know, if you ever if if you ever change your mind, let me know. Like, he's not going to be like, come on, you got to do it for <laughs> Momo. But like, you know, he's, 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 he's a little bit hands off. It's, it's good. Good Junior. There. I love mm-hmm. Junior. Junior is still probably my favorite. I love how much of a dipshit he is. Yeah, I know. Even like, <laughs> yes, even though he's in his thirties, he's thirteen in his body and in his heart. <laughs> Shouts out. Yeah, um, <laughs> I really like real quickly in the cabin uh, because you know there aren't traditional towns or shops in this game. Really, um, the way that you sell excess items back is you're you're helping the Elsa. You're helping Captain <laughs> Matthews pay off his debt uh, oh, oh, by. Oh. The line the robot says, if you don't give him anything, yeah. is in all caps, I, Captain Matthew's debt hell continues, exclamation mark. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking incredible <laughs> shit. So good. I want to know what happens if you pay it off. I'm going to look it up while we continue our podcast. Uh, so we finally have some freedom. Uh, and right next to where you start is a UMN terminal that A, has tutorials on the new mechanics in the game, and B, contains a very detailed recap of the first game. Totally missed this terminal. It's so long. God help you if you start reading it and then say, oh, I want to back out of this, because it takes like five minutes to button through. And it does Oof. at the end have a, did you get that, where yes, no is the default option. Oh, oh no. no. So when I per, uh, first played Xenosaga 3, I had skipped this game. And I think I spent probably about two hours going through the encyclopedia, reading everything to try to catch up on uh, what had happened. Uh, so, yeah, five minutes actually doesn't sound too bad. Uh, in comparison. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, in the back corner of the spaceport is the robot. Uh, as we mentioned already, apparently the robot takes 10 million credits to get the Elsa out of Hawk. Uh, and what you get for it are uh, Jin's bathing suit, a double attack for Momo and Ziggy. Fuck yeah. X Buster for Cosmos and sorry, Cosmos and a bunch of skill point consumables. Uh, you get 20,000. Oh, that's huge. And uh, Sybil has said, don't do this. 
I'm going to do this because this game fact says uh, the strategy is to fight Orgula and steal like 20 of these items that sell for uh, 50,000 each. <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds extremely easy. But Orgula is also a hard boss. Yes. Okay. Uh, we can. Yeah, we can do it apparently as soon as we come back from Orbis. So next episode. Damn, that is amazing. Doing it. Doing it. As here, here's 10 million credits. Going to complain about how easy the game is the <laughs> whole time afterwards. <laughs> all right so eventually uh you leave uh this area basically in the area there's just some randos around you can talk to uh it's it's like a more or less a uh airport terminal is the area you're in uh there's a lot of really good flavor in here about like how people felt about what was happening as like the space station came down yeah i did appreciate that that it like ties it ties all of the absurd, like, over-the-top anime bullshit from the end of the first game into some actual, like, human-level perspectives on what's going on. It highlighted a thing that is unusual to me, um, in that this is a JRPG sequel that really feels like it started minutes after. It feels like a direct continuation rather than a sequel sequel, which is very unusual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Well, and it, it it's it's especially interesting because of the tonal differences between the two, uh, where episode one is a space opera and episode two is like an anime action series. Uh, and yeah, it's so like fucking chill vibes. Like half of it is like slice of life shit where you listen to bad techno music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so the, so the fact that it's also a direct plot continuation is very interesting in that light. And not, and like seconds later, not like a couple yeah. weeks later, even where there's like a disconnect where people recap with each other, they just fucking get going right away. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know about the the, the tonal changes. Um, I I don't know how that whole process shook out, but it's it's definitely noticeable. Uh, mm-hmm. How it shook out is there was an entire new writing team. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. What was changed? I don't know. Anyway. Eventually, you leave the area, uh, and this is when the party starts. Junior, Chaos, Ziggy, and Momo hop into a limo to head to an office building, and two mechs attack on the highway. So these are Utic mechs. Oh, it's so sick. It's amazing. It's so sick. Uh, (laughs) As Junior and Ziggy repel their attempts to kidnap uh, Momo, she takes the wheel, and the chase suddenly turns into initial D. Uh, Chaos <laughs> just sits there like a bisexual the whole time. <laughs> you can you can tell we didn't write these. It's a real landmine to just read Sybil's notes without having looked at them before. <laughs> yep. Yes, uh, I mean it's true. The but only also... thing Chaos does is uh, so Junior's like so the top of the car got blown off. 
So Junior is just standing on top of like the top of the two front seats, shooting his pistols at these giant mechs the whole time. And when the car goes mm-hmm. sideways on the wall, uh, like the only thing you do is just barely off frame. You see Chaos yank him so he doesn't fall to his death off of the freeway. That's so good. Oh. Like, I love Momo as F1 driver here. This is this is fucking incredible. Uh-huh. Yeah. Also, at the beginning, I'm like, everyone else on the highway is very chill about this happening. And then Momo has yeah. to get in the front seat. You're like, oh, all of these are on autopilot. It will take them forever to get there under attack. And I, mm-hmm. it yes. is so funny because Junior just continually shooting his pistols really makes the scene and makes it seem cool. But it is like the least effectual thing imaginable. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love that the, the car has a old timey uh gear shift. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh-huh. uh, one of those uh-huh. uh those those lever gear shifts that come out of the right of the steering column. Oh. And Momo's just like, okay, time to downshift. Click. Also, it has like a fucking like classic walnut dash. What a posh future car. Yes. I love that shit. It's incredible. Oh, it's incredible. So oh. good. Um, I, I love all of this scene. It is is it is absolutely the highlight. Mm-hmm. Zeno Saga two still it, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it it makes it a yeah. Uh, so this scene was apparently cut in the DS game. Uh, for wow, understandable Tragedy. reasons. I imagine like all of the things that would that makes this so awesome would be very hard to convey with sprite graphics on a on a well, low budget DS game. Yeah. The real reason is that they want to cut the tutorial dungeon because Xenosaga 1 and 2 on the DS, I think, probably use the same battle system the whole way throughout. So you don't need a tutorial dungeon. Yeah. yeah. So the scene is probably right. cut because they just drive to the office. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good point. Uh, so uh, our party's move is now to make their way through sewers and various paths to a government defense post. In short, it's dungeon time. There's a really good justification for it, too, which is we're going to endanger everyone in the city if we go through on the surface. Right. Because, like, one of the things is, like, Utic, uh, I think they did a good job in the first game of selling Utic's ascendance. You know, like, they weren't a huge part of the first game screen time-wise, uh, but I really did buy the way that they infiltrated uh, themselves and insinuated themselves into, like, every branch of government to take over, and now they can be masked off and just attack a fucking major metropolitan area and, like Second And the payoff Milsha. is huge, right? Because now they're not just a secret shadowy organization. Oh, They're yeah. doing, like, sick highway chases in the middle of broad daylight on a neutral party's yes. government, like, ma- capital yes. planet. Incredible mm-hmm. shit. Totally. I was, yeah, it, it, absolutely incredible shit. And I was so surprised because I really thought, you know, uh, having a lot of JRPG literacy, I really expected uh, there to be a drawn-out town sequence here instead of, boom, cutting straight to danger, action, uh, extremely snappily paced and edited car chase cutscenes, fucking mech ambushes. Like, this game just goes hard out the gate in ways yeah. I was not expecting. It comes off like a big budget, like sci-fi action movie. Yes, yes. Which, um, 
the other thing I like here too, if we're done on this, are we, anyone else have anything on this? Scene? Oh, I just have one last thing to say about that, which is that I definitely appreciated the big budget action, uh, sci-fi movie vibes of this game, because it's not something you see in JRPGs anymore at all. Like this, this sort of mm-hmm. level of ambition of staging cutscenes, like it just doesn't happen anymore. It, it, yeah, it fe- it's like it's totally. like out of Blade Runner twenty forty nine is like the scale yeah. we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing too I like is that this dungeon feels really good because the combat feels super good um, because the animations yeah. are fast. I did have the sicko thought that these animations aren't long enough, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm glad they're short given how the combat system actually shakes out because otherwise it would take an unbelievable amount of time to get through an encounter. Absolutely. But it does feel really good and there's a lot going on right away, even in the beginning dungeon because we had the tutorial flashback. So like right away, you're already dealing with back attacks, um, guys that are flying that only half your party can hit and that summon in more reinforcements and like mixed units that look similar. Some have AOE attacks and some do debuffs. Like there's a lot going on for just the first dungeon. Totally. It it is, it is uh, extremely important here to so there are a lot more safe points yeah. in the dungeons in this game than there were in episode one which is important because um the the combat is more moment to moment engaging and difficult uh and and so one of the things that you need to remember to do especially if you did not say find the umn terminal that has the tutorial about all the new stuff is um Go and spend those skill points that you get. Uh, spend those skill points and and equip actual spells and ether skills. Uh, otherwise, uh, you will get hoisted uh, repeatedly. The thing I like the most about the combat that gives it an interesting and unusual dynamic is how offensively oriented it is. Because a lot of JRPG combat, like Atlas games in particular, mm-hmm. you're rewarded for making the long-term play across the battle. But the second you stop just going all out on guys, you're going to get absolutely fucking owned in a battle. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah. also, if you play your cards right, you're taking like 10 actions in a row and you clear an encounter without taking any damage. Yeah, in, in that way, it's kind of... Uh, it sort of presages what would go- happen with the Bravely Default games. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness, yes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't reveal itself yet. I know that we, you know, the recurring theme of these first three episodes is this game is sick now, but we all know that the other shoe is going to drop. But like the thing about this combat system is that it is very all or nothing in terms of enjoyment, because the second that you get out of sync and out of the loop, it, this the combat system becomes an absolute slog trying to play catch up. Uh, but you know, when you're in sync with the combat system, it absolutely sings and hums and feels really good. But as soon as it feels bad, it feels awful. Yep. Absolutely. Well, in the, in the later half, if I'm remembering correctly, it's still like this, except instead of the burst carrying you through the encounter, it's something that you have to build up to multiple times because it includes buffing your guys and doing debuffs on the enemy guy to maximize your like all out window. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, so that's very bravely default. 
So halfway through the dungeon, Junior remembers that he's psychic and just calls Guinan to get them <laughs> some backup and alert the feds. Uh, Guinan takes a second to respond because he had some sort of blackout where he spilled his tea, which comes off real weird when we don't know what's up with that right now. Yeah, uh, I I just also wanted to call attention to how how much better the interiors look in this game than in Xenosaga yeah. One. Like the mm-hmm. little details that are in Guinan's room, they just they just look so good compared to the first game. Uh, so yeah, it's it's quite impressive. This game is very technically impressive. Like the water in the um, hallway looks so good. Oh, oh yeah, that looks yeah. so good. So we go through the dungeon. We fight a bunch of guys. Um, there's a part where you can grind for a while, which I did, which we'll talk about in party chat later. It's definitely spent a couple hours there. But uh, we get to a mini boss called Executus Sagita, and it is just a big robot, which doesn't really do anything until near the end of the fight. Fight strategy is to stock everyone to max, um, knock it down to about 1,000, 1,200, and then just blitz it extremely hard. Um, otherwise, mm-hmm. when it's below 50% HP, it gains an ability called Memory, which means that it locks onto whatever's in the roulette slot at the time of its use. And if you attack it during that phase, it counter boosts to crit the character that hit it. Um, it takes a slow and steady boss fight into a game of like RNG based rocket tag. Mm-hmm. And another really impressive thing here, uh, technically is that before you fight it, there is a, uh, naughty dog style, uh, vehicle chasing you down the road scene. Uh, which is actually before Uncharted ever existed. Oh, uh, damn. And it, it looks pretty good. Like, there's a car that, like, uh, has to, like, screech to a stop as it's chasing you down the road and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, that, that is, that's so yeah. cool. Um, how that, that, yeah, that car just, like, busts into the side there. And, like, the scale on the, the scale on everything is, like, appropriate, too. Like, it is hard, mm-hmm. hard to oversell how impressive everything is. Well, yeah. and so, you know, this dungeon is a lot more linear than the Xenosaga Episode 1 dungeons, but it makes up for it in um, variety and having an actual sense of tension and stakes, kind of like um, the best parts of Final Fantasy thirteen, where it feels like you're running away from the world collapsing behind you, essentially. And so it's like, it makes sense to go in a straight line because uh, there's shit behind me that I'm trying to run away from. This is it's- Chapter 7 in Final Fantasy thirteen energy, like where you get to like Hope's house and shit. that's what this feels like absolutely absolutely it it's also impressive the way in which uh the dungeon design uses verticality so for instance uh when you fall down the little waterfall in the water reservoir or when you're when you go back up and then are running away from the robot uh you mean when you break your legs (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 but then but like but like when you're running away from the robot you're also running from the top of a hill down to the bottom of a hill so Mm -hmm. it's way more uh 3d than the the xenosaga one dungeons yeah the camera transitions are good instead of abrupt there's they they still feel kind of abrupt because what happens is that the camera moves from instead of cutting it moves from one fixed position to another probably a little too fast which makes it feel weird but it does add mm-hmm. a lot to like the dynamism of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the camera has the same kind of like herky jerky problem that uh, the character animations do. Yeah. 
right after this section is oh this is the section where you grind um a helicopter rolls up and drops a laser barrier behind you and this barrier shoots out waves of energy every few seconds and if you touch one you'll get into an encounter uh and yeah okay our notes also call this out as a grind spot so what you're supposed to do is there's side Mm -hmm. channels up the road where you can dodge each wave and get through without fighting encounters or at the end of the street is a save point that also restores your hp and this is a uh good great farm spot um and apparently i missed the skill that i should have gotten thunder sybil says you should get thunder sword here oh i have thunder blast I, so that works out fine because i got that on chaos yeah 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 as long as you have a skill that does thunder damage um it, for the yeah. helicopters yeah yeah um yeah this bot is is super cool um i also like you know in the the time before the, the the time leading up to this l- kind of laser fence respawn, um, enemies will spawn in from behind you and chase you through the dungeon, and and you know you can get back attacked unless you turn around and face them. And the one one thing though is that the uh, some of the characters that are the the NPCs that are kind of in parts of this dungeon to give it a little bit of world flavor end up making it. Make it makes it feel a little bit more artificial than if they weren't there, uh, because they're a little bit JRPG corny. Just kind of the survivors stranded in the middle of the road, or you know, the people stuck behind the fence. Uh, their 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 dialogue is just a little bit silly, uh, and I it made me groan a little bit. That's all. I didn't talk to them, so I was just glad that they were there and like clearly stuck <laughs> because that added a lot to the situation. Yeah, there's that. Um, there's the. Uh the couple where the the girlfriend's like, I can't believe you abandoned me. And then, uh, you know, the boyfriend's like, well, but actually it's natural to use your flight. Oh, I did talk to that guy and I fucking laughed so hard. So (laughs) funny. That's the guy that made me go, Oh, come the fuck on. So that's, that's what all the dudes who lift at the gym would say in this situation. (laughs) It's, uh, it's such a contrast to on the Woglinda where uh, mm-hmm. there's the couple and it's like this terrible tragedy about, you know, the one person oh, running yeah. out and then getting killed. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. It's a big tone shift between those two. Well, there is a new <laughs> couple here, but it's so funny later. They're the uh, couple in the um, side room in the UMN facility who no matter what you do, when you talk to, when you walk in there, they're both shaking nervously. And no matter who you talk to, they just say, we weren't doing anything. Very good. (laughs) That's good. I do want to say one thing though, about the grinding here. Sybil said that, uh, you know, you need to grind up thunder sword or you're saying like a, a, another thunder skill. And I think that really just gets into this whole thing about the, the battle system being so prescriptive and, really assuming you have a strategy guide with you uh, in order to enjoy this game. Because, like, my experience of the of the skill system was very, like, I don't know what the right thing is to do here, so I'm just going to kind of do stuff. Well, it's not going to matter, right? Because by the end of the game, you're gonna everyone's going to have all of it. So it ultimately mm-hmm. doesn't matter. It's just you can make certain parts easier. Like if you didn't get the thunder spell yeah. here, Momo can still kill a helicopter by herself in one turn because when she burns okay. three stocks, she gets a fourth attack at the end that does like triple damage and she just fucks a helicopter up in a single turn. So you could just have her build that up where Chaos and Junior take care of the other guys, right? 
So it's the one thing that you can do in this game that will always make it unfun is to treat it like a normal JRPG battle where you're just doing a regular attack each time. Like, yes. It really is built around uh, stalking, boosting, and exploiting weaknesses. And, like, and uh, it's a pos- it doesn't... It's a positive feedback loop, too, right? Because what yeah. you get increasingly more boost for each stage of attack, so a three-stock boost, even on a non-boost turn, will always get you one and a half boost. On a boost turn, mm-hmm. you will have a hard enough time spend... You have to like be spending boost in between each of your attacks, or you'll continually right. be overflowing, right? Right. So it like positively feeds into itself in a way where you keep going, and it feels super great. Yeah, that's yes. really good. And- and it communicates that all these mechanics exist, but the game doesn't do a great job of telling you exactly how to use those mechanics to make the game fun, because this battle system so far is fun if you're exploiting it. Yeah, I I, I missed uh, the UMN uh, intro to the game system when I was in that earlier section, so I did feel a little bit confused. I was starting to get the hang of it at this point. But it was it was a little bit uh, disorienting, um, and even that thing about uh, you know uh, boost turns recharging boost. I just learned about that right now, which is super cool. But overall, I feel like this is a really forward thinking system uh, that, yeah, as you were saying before, definitely kind of is a prototype for like FF thirteen. Or, uh, yeah, we've said, like, Bravely Default. You can see some of the sort of stuff that Persona would go on to do. Um, There's a lot of really cool ideas here. This is still way better than Persona's press turn, though. Because the problem with Persona's press turn is that it's a completely completely uninteractive blowout either way. But here, the enemies can interrupt you by doing, like, crit boost into your slot. Yeah, and in that way, it does remind me more of, like, the Final Fantasy 13 designs right. in terms of like really thinking through how the system works and making it very engaging. What I will say is I had to go back and read our generalities notes to figure out how this worked. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because let me tell you, when we were recording that episode, I hadn't done any real combat yet. So I'm like, I don't know what the fuck any of this is. But now I'm like, oh, yeah. this is sick. <laughs> yeah. So when you're ready, uh, it's time to continue on and meet the next mini boss. 088 Libra. Uh, This boss is another tutorial fight, but for less obvious mechanics. Uh, So there are four spaces on each side of the battlefield and only three party members in the fight. Uh, And so the goal here is to teach you that sometimes uh, spread people out is the way to go, since the boss has this attack ASM1229, a flame that splashes onto adjacent squares. Uh, you can keep it from hitting all three members of your party by moving the stock uh, one, two, three, empty pattern into one, two, empty, three. This boss is also a training ground for type damage. Uh, so if uh, Momo or Andor Jr. continuously chain the damage, which only they can since it needs a, a, a zone AA attack to break uh, with their pierce element, the boss's monitor breaks. 
This drops the Libra's stats drastically, making it much more vulnerable for the remaining battle. If you have Thunder Sword, you can cast it on those two, and you can start doing something in the vicinity of 300 to 400% damage per strike, uh, making this thing go down easily. It's uh, like a weird, like, vertical manta ray kind of floating robot. We didn't describe it before, but that's kind of its vibe. This did not read to a bust as me to me, because uh, I was already level 13. <laughs> <laughs> After this Libra fight, the only remaining challenge between you and the boss is uh, a triple threat helicopter and drones battle. Uh, kind of over like a freeway overpass. Oh, and it's cool because only the drones are on the highway and you see the helicopter off to the side. And I'm like, what is the helicopter yeah. doing? Then you get into the yeah. battle and the helicopter zooms in from the correct side of the screen. Awesome. Yeah. That's uh, so good. cool. So uh, a good strategy for this fight is to kill the first drone and then the helicopter and then the second drone because um, the second drone can summon more drones if it is alone on the battlefield. That was already tutorialized. That's so cool because that's what the um, helicopters do in the other place when you uh, in the laser gate area. So you already know how the helicopters summon in reinforcements by doing that battle. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's super cool. I, I missed that again because I uh, I just did that fight once and I killed them too fast. <laughs> and I, I did the like dodging from side to side thing because I was like, oh, this is what the game wants me to do. And sorry, I, I misspoke. The helicopter, if it's left alone, can summon in more, not the second right. drone. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. So finally, uh, we've got uh, the drones returning right before the boss. And then this this part is actually extremely sick. You start heading up a long staircase, but then the ground starts to explode uh, behind you, and so the staircase is collapsing, and also there are three drones chasing you up the staircase. And if you run fast enough, you can avoid the fight entirely, and it feels extremely tense and cool, but you can also farm these three drones if you want, since the save point is only one room back. They drop so many skill points. Oh, I did not know you could go back, so I just killed them once and moved on, because I'm like, I'll get these free skill points. Yeah, the 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 staircase only starts collapsing after you're a certain way up, and the drones spawn in before that. Oh, yeah, I didn't, I did not. Uh, the staircase was already halfway gone. It might have regenerated if I yeah. had left and come back, but I did not do that. Mm-hmm. Once we uh, get to the top of the stairs, we enter into a kind of arena area, and uh, Scutum and Pylum come down to attack us. Uh, I believe these are the robots that were chasing us on the road of the sick car chase. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> One so... of them's name is Richard. I love that. I love that his name is fucking Richard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's I am Richard. It's <laughs> like, what does he say? Like, yeah. long time no see. I am Richard. <laughs> I, lo- I love that Margulis, Pellegrin, and Richard hang out Richard. together. <laughs> yeah. So good. Uh, So uh, in this battle, uh, first things first, everyone stalk on their first turn. Uh, Both of the robots will waste one round taunting you, so you can take advantage (laughs) of that. Uh, Second, uh, this is an important min-maxer alert. Uh, This is one of only two fights in the game that can drop the tuned circuit accessory, which gives you plus one agility. Uh, it's completely up to luck whether you get it or not as a drop for beating them, uh, since you can't yet have any steel skills. 
but some people would easily refight this boss for it. Glad I got that. Yeah, uh, it's it's the uh, it's the the Belder uh, straight sword of of this uh, area, I guess. Um, <laughs> the the easy logic on this fight is to dogpile Pylum since he has less HP, but do not. Uh, Scutum heals and buffs, so it's well worth pounding the tanker bot, tankier bot, into the ground. Uh, both robots are weak to pierce and aura damage, so if you have aura sword and junior uh, Momo, you can kick your damage through the stratosphere that way. Well, I mean, Chaos also just has an aura attack, right, on his uh, circle move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that uh, they both have attacks that do thunder damage, and so if you have uh, a thunder shield ability and uh, also high evasion, uh, neither of these these enemies can r- really hurt you too badly. Yeah, and it, it's it's nice that there's a grinding area like right before this boss, so if you do need to go back and load uh, to get that, then you can just do it. I did yeah. luck out and get points times 10 on one of these guys and points times four on the other. So got a holy lot, shit. Got a lot of fucking points Jack already, Fong. buddy. <laughs> your, your, your blessed Xenosaga runs continue. Oh, it was not <laughs> so many points. Multi- it was not blessed. I had to hang out for like six rounds to get a points slot to show up at the right oh. time because they kept counter boosting oh. me and making me mad. Okay. All right. Okay. It was engineered. So, yeah. You have a sicko run then. Yeah, I had to earn that. The uh-huh. number was fun. I would have taken a two on a boss, but a ten and a four, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I got the good drop. After the battle, Pellegree shows up in her freshly restored ES, and Kanan arrives in the Asher shortly behind. The two begin battling control of their party in a sick cutscene when their relics of anima react to each other, uh, freezing both in time and space for a moment. It's extremely sick, but also uh, the backup music makes it seem like Pellegree's ES just like projects opera music through a speaker while it's <laughs> flying around because because that music shows up, but the opera is like kind of quiet and only pops in when her ES shows up. Yeah. <laughs> it's also not, uh, I don't think it's explained here that the relics of Anima are reacting to one another. It's just like a weird thing that happens and everyone's confused. Including me. Yeah. It, it it does have extremely guy on his bike with a Bluetooth speaker in the basket energy. <laughs> <laughs> this causes Pellegrin to just leave in a huff, taking her lackeys with her. The other guy's name is Herman, by the way. <laughs> Richard Herman and Herman. And Richard. Yeah, I love it. Kanan recognizes uh who writes two-fourths and not one-half? Kanan recognizes <laughs> half of the party as being Milshin conflict survivors in Jets with an awkward... Uh, yeah. And then we return to the scene of Junior carrying Guinan out from last game. Um, this time we suddenly see his pleas met with spotlights. Kanan and Chaos have found and recovered them during the Milshin conflict. And this is when we first learn that Junior and Albedo were conjoined twins. Yeah, it's uh the the way that uh Junior describes him where he says that he is the beating of my right heart and also a piece of me is um like it's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean? Uh, the other guy is vector guy. Come on. 
<laughs> so, oh, oh, God. Chaos just speaks in heavy portent in, in such a, so much more of an incredible way than, like, the first game, he was just, like, gentle feelings boy, essentially. And, and in this game, all he does is speak in monotone in prophecy because he says about the three brothers, uh, uh, Junior, Guinan, and Albedo, he says, the red horse carried war and the black horse famine and upon their backs bear the great calamity. Albedo, like, come-, come on. Okay, I'm, mad. I'm, I'm only mad because our notes say this never comes up again, nor do we extend the metaphor. Albedo literally has the Udu virus and Vector Guy is the other one. Yeah, no, I, I also, I agree. I think that the Four Horsemen metaphor is carried out through the characterization and abilities of these, of three of these characters. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, this is also, we find out that Junior, we, I, I guess we found this out in the, in the first game, but I had forgotten that Junior feels extremely guilty because, because Junior and Albedo were conjoined twins, and because all the URTVs also shared that psychic connection, Junior was the leader of that expedition, uh, and when the song hit, he severed the connection, and so he blames himself for Albedo losing himself. Uh, okay, it make, um, I had to look up what conjoined twins were, and then I thought, oh, it makes sense that we don't call them that other thing anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. So... Upon this story being told, uh, Momo just goes, wait, so you knew chaos the whole time? And then nobody says anything in yeah, a way that's yeah. super good. Uh-huh. So then we, uh, in like, we're all kind of reflecting on this cutscene later, all the characters. And, uh, be, be, you know, because Kanan was there and they, and, and Kanan was actually calling Junior Rubido and Junior is like, don't call me that it's Junior. And then Momo's like, but I like the name Rubido. And Junior's like, uh, please fucking listen to me when I say I don't like that name. And then, and then, uh, Momo's like, ah, that's fine. Siggy doesn't like his, uh, old name either. And it's just, it's, it's very like man, what the fuck, people in this game? Like, well, come on, respect people's fucking names. Children are notoriously unwoke. Yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. But but come on, Dr. Mizrahi should know better. And also, fucking, I am sure that Kanan has talked to Junior in the last 14 years at some point and known. Yeah, that is weird. It makes it seem like Kanan sprang out of existence just now when the game is trying to tell me he's been around for like 30 years. Yeah, in yeah, the absolutely. same city. Yeah. 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 Like come working on. with very similar people. No, the so. same uh-huh. guy. He is the same yeah. guy's other like secret operative in the same way yeah. you are. You go to the same yeah. meetings. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they're just bringing up all this dead name stuff because they're like, oh, like, let's highlight the trauma. You know, everyone's abandoning their old identities because their past is so traumatic. But like, mm-hmm. mm, it's weird. Sometimes it, it's yeah. kind of weird. It's yeah. weird that they I, well, add it to Ziggy later, like expecting us to have played Pied Piper. Uh-huh. Because that's where that comes right. from, uh-huh. right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like uh, and it, it, it also it also was mentioned in Xenosaga One when you get the introduction to Ziggy uh, uh, with uh uh Yuli. But that was four years ago, plus thirty it hours. Was. <laughs> Right. It was it was four years, thirty-five hours ago, and also like what what he says is 
you know, uh, yeah, please just call me by my designation. Like uh, yes. that's I, I I do I do not want to be known by my old identity. Your designation please. is sick. Ziggurat Eight is cool as fuck. Yeah, yeah. Ziggurat Eight is sci-fi as shit. I I'm way into it. Also, shout outs to how he still has the dumb clunk clunk sounds when he runs. I love it. <laughs> I what I want. They're actually even better in this game. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. the clunk clunk sounds. And I will also say that the sound mix in this game is is really good. It's too bad. Too bad that the music is mixed so prominently when a lot of it is very not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like technically speaking, though, again, it's it's very good. Like I was. I was listening, I was playing this game with, uh, like, uh, what do you call those? Uh, like monitor headphones hooked up to my PS2. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's just like super, super clear, uh, sound. And it, it sounds really good compared to a lot of games. Like, yeah, there's so many poorly mixed games out these days that I was impressed. Xenosaga one was especially bad in a combat. If you, uh, like the thing that I go to for how not good the sound mix in Xenosaga one was, was when you have Virgil and your Bicardi in the beginning and he shoots a gun and you can barely hear him go. Ha. Incredible. Yeah. Or yeah. It's just, yeah. Mystic powers grant me a miracle. It's, it's, uh, it's so like quiet okay. and tiny. But Although, in this oh, game, oh, the re-recording oh, of that oh, is yeah. so bad. It sounds it's like so it's in bad. a closet. It's so bad. And the voice actor just, whiffs it mystic powers grant me a miracle oh, come on it's you terrible can't. it sounds like they did it from a hotel room on like their yeah. laptop microphone and no one asked for another take uh-huh like a lot of the voice acting is good sound technically good sounding but not well done because it's poorly directed mm-hmm. but that line right. stands out so hard as being extremely low quality compared to everything else yeah and, yeah and yeah it just sounds so much worse than the one in uh xenosaga one like the line read is so much worse yeah um real elder scrolls vibes <laughs> <laughs> I want to go. I want to go back and 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 like RP a technically accurate version of this dungeon run where I switch so that Ziggy's the main character just to go down that giant waterfall so that my so that my metal knees can actually handle the impact uh, and then switch back to Junior as the main character. Oh man! Shout out to Ziggy's knees. But uh, yeah, like speaking of the the sound engineering, like. Korg is in the credits for this game. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Shit. Like, like at at the at the start of 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 uh, before the the title screen comes up, yeah. it's, it's listed as Korg. I'm like, uh-huh. did they do the mix? Like, this is it's just wild. I, I wonder if I wonder if the soundtrack was composed on on Korg synths uh, without without some of oh. it sounds too. Well, it sure does sound like some guy was just fucking around with the default Korg sounds because that airport music is so bad. Yes. Uh, it It's so prominent when you're listening on like really clear uh, speakers. Yeah. Like it's like, oh, yeah, this is from a Korg keyboard. <laughs> it's it's just that first little solo at the beginning of this dungeon track. That's really annoying to me because it settles into, I think, a a, a good a good little theme, but just like wow, 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 right at the beginning is really jarring. <laughs> I do like the battle music; is very hype, though. Big yeah. fan of oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I good. feel bad. 
I know that I know that uh, I remember from the notes from a couple episodes ago that Sybil's a big fan of the music, and I know that she's not here to defend the music as it stands. So, so well, that's what's weird, right? And so, like when um, Matt was telling me when he bought the soundtrack, it's only the cutscene music, and the cutscene music fucking slaps. It's just this mm-hmm. like yeah. dungeon and town music that is not good and was clearly a different guy. Right. I w- right. I will say the dungeon and town music kind of like bops along in a way that's sort of appropriate to like a well it's mall it's molly right and like second yeah Milsha it's is appropriate a to Mil- second milsha as yeah. like this this very uh clean futuristic like pseudo japan yeah. that we're in yeah. it's sci-fi parking garage music for a sci-fi parking garage city Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Shout outs to my favorite Brian Brian Eno album. (laughs) (laughs) Music for parking garages. That is correct. After this whole uh, this whole uh, name discussion and yet another Ziggy sounds like a dog's name joke because fuck Junior, fuck Momo. Um, we then uh, move again to Vector Industries Second Division, where there has been you know uh, no Utic violence anywhere, and they don't know what the fuck's going on. Thanks, Guinan. Thanks, Guinan. So this is where we learn that the Gnosis have destroyed over 120 star systems, <laughs> a fact which Vector and the government are somehow covering up and which uh, is not really delivered with that much gravitas. And no. so it's just like, yeah. It's because the, the, the Vector employee uh, from the second division who's speaking to Xion is like on some serious drugs. Like it's just... Yeah. Just super mellow, so yeah. fucking mellow. And so it's it's just like, uh, yeah, uh, the Gnosis have destroyed more than 120 star systems, and it's that that is so many people. That's so many people. So we learn that so like the Valkyrie gear that Nephilim showed Shion last game, uh, which Cosmos wielded. So Vector Vector already has that built. We learn that uh, Cosmos herself is a Gnosis worst-case scenario failsafe, and that these wings and this gun uh, are are part of that failsafe. And the Zohar project is to ultimately eradicate Gnosis from the cosmos, so we need the original Zohar on Milsha for that. So the Valkyrie gear is designed to combat Udu, uh, which Vector knows exists, and also powers the Zohar. So the Zudu, so the Udu, which is this, you know, like... Uh, alien consciousness that has, that creates the Gnosis uh, or summons the Gnosis uh, also powers the Zohar and is inside the Zohar, but they don't really know what it is otherwise. 
and it is the reason why uh, space time around Milsha um, around Milsha is broken, despite being put into the Phantom Zone. <laughs> yeah. Wait, is the other is the other robot in this game, or is that only in three? Because only in three, it's uh, it's it's briefly mentioned here. Uh, oh, yeah. Telos, uh, Telos? Telos is, yeah. is briefly mentioned here. Yeah, the Ass yeah. Man robot. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Look, the, yeah. For those who have not seen Telos, just just Google image search. And yeah. The redesign sense. of Cosmos in te- pairs yeah. nicely with Telos, and yeah. that there's a robot waifu for everyone. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Also, really quick before we move on, the the vector employee also calls uh, the Zohar this universe's quote ultimate energy device, which is just chef kiss MacGuffin energy. Just yes, okay, ultimate energy device. That is, of course, why we need it. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's why people have been scheming to get a hold of it for like thousands of years at this point, right? Because they want ultimate energy. Yeah, speaking of robot waifus, I, I I still have the episode three Cosmos figure. So that's the piece of plastic that I spent my real money on uh, many, many, many <laughs> years ago when I bought nice. it at launch. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, let's move on. Xion... Uh, so Sion responds to all of this absolutely terrible news, which includes the news that uh, it's how many years do they say they have until humanity's destroyed? Like three or something? Yeah. The, vec- the vector employees like, oh, if this rate of Gnosis expansion continues, well, that's uh, that's the end of humanity. So we kind of need this Cosmos project to get going. Yeah, so Xion asks what happens if she doesn't turn the company property over to a different division of the company, the second division. Uh, the Vector employee, uh, the, the really sleepy one, uh, tells us, well, this entire project was greenlit by the government and your bosses, so you'd be twice as screwed if you did that. Uh, and then on top of that, it would be the end of humanity. So, you know, maybe you should turn over company property to well, the right division. If it is yeah. the end of humanity, you can't get in trouble with your boss. Hey, uh, you know, Xion, uh, I'm sure Xion seriously weighed her options there. Uh, <laughs> that's the most engineer way of approaching that situation possible. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> so Xion looks like she's ready to object regardless of all this, except then someone <laughs> goes, hey, Kevin made this. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so... Uh, Okay, so first of all, uh, Kev, uh, I love you know, this. yeah, me too. So as as uh, she's uh, describing what's going on, she says Alan made the software. So if you have any questions, and Alan begins bugging directly at the mm-hmm. camera, pointing at himself, uh, like it. get yours, Alan. Like literally, as if this was like a home movie. Uh, Alan turns to the camera is like, me, I matter, I'm it's, significant. It's incredible. I mean, and, and, this, and, but and, actually. Yeah. And like, basically, Xion is doing this at the same time she's just like piecing out and doesn't give a single fuck about Alan still. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, she she starts like dissociating immediately as soon as she, as soon as, uh, as, Basically, uh, what we've learned here is the way that you get 
uh, Shion to do anything that she doesn't want to do is to say that her dead ex-boyfriend is behind it. Yeah. And then I what think it's just her dead boyfriend. I don't think it's her dead ex-boyfriend. I mean, if you, <laughs> I guess. I mean, I, I assume that as soon as you are a widow or widower, then then it is an yeah, ex. But that's, Except for when you're the way Shion is about it. Yeah, yeah she's still fair. carrying that torch. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, on topic, uh, we see another Kevin and Shion flashback after this. This is where uh, the retcon that Cosmos has had an ES this entire time comes in. Uh, so we see the ES in the background that uh, Kevin and Shion are looking at. Kevin here is essentially saying, like, you know, I hope that Cosmos is going to build a new yeah. world, yeah. save us, and bring world peace to everybody. Yeah. Uh, it'll be perfect. Yeah, he's got a... Yeah. He's 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 got Aaron Sorkin like liberal hope disease. Is like he's a West Wing character that created a sentient sapient super weapon. What I wrote in my Discord is Kevin, quote, I hope my robot waifu will end racism and war, and that's why I built her a six space one seater. Exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's so exactly. weird because yeah. what he's saying is, I hope my robot will end reality and racism. So what he's saying is, I built a model minority and yikes, Kevin. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's holy shit. A model minority with Chekhov's hyperspace drive also. Yeah. <laughs> and also, Shion is right. She said, why did you build that? She's the she's a combat unit. Why does she need a space motorcycle? And then he yeah. has to hastily justify beyond, I thought it would be sick. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, uh, totally. <laughs> and I mean, Cosmos is... Cosmos is kind of Kevin's robot waifu, but, like, Cosmos is also, like, Shion's weird sister-daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it it is such a weird relationship. Yeah, and so like, and and so like, Shion has unhealthy attachments to a dead ex, and also a sister daughter who happens to be um an artifact, you know, a, a human created god, essentially, which is going to do some fucked up things to your psyche. Also, she had a mom who got who got wrecked from, you know, Milchian conflict and shit. It's all just absolutely terrible. Yeah, this is why Shion has an entire entry in the Wikipedia about her trauma. Yes! <laughs> yes. 100%. <laughs> so, uh... Okay, so then Shion uh, goes into the city to finally shut her brother up about visiting mom and dad's grave. So, you know, uh, as I said before... Uh, Shion and Jin are are sort of culturally Japanese, mm-hmm. so they they follow that Japanese tradition of of going to the grave every year mm. to, to visit uh, your ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jin is 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 you know super insistent on this because he's a massive weeb. Uh, so <laughs> sure. before uh, Shion leaves Vector, she orders Alan to never take his eyes off Co- uh, Cosmos. Um, and Alan's sort of like, oh, oh, but, uh, oh, why? Oh, gee, I don't <laughs> well, know. I love oh, Alan. He's <laughs> not up to this. Yeah. And, and Shion is like, like, basically like, why do you think, like, she is my sister, daughter, robot goddess that mm-hmm. can destroy this planet with a blink of an eye? 
I love, and then and then his response because she's clearly clearly now like in Kevin and Cosmos zone and just out. Uh, he, he says there is something definitely wrong with her today. It's yeah, no shit, Alan. <laughs> Bro, were you were there ten minutes ago when we stopped an entire planet from getting obliterated? Come yeah. on, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we maybe all she, listened to that bad vocal track. <laughs> maybe she has a little bit on her mind. Yeah, just just maybe, you know. Uh, like it, she's essentially having to give up her daughter slash sister, like it, as like into like some kind of weird orphanage program, corporate or, or corporate orphanage super weapon program, and which. which She's still very concerned that Cos- uh, Cosmos is unstable and unreliable because Cosmos is doing all kinds of weird things that she was not programmed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, not the first weird corporate orphanage for super soldiers in the series. Yeah. Like, like the <laughs> oh third one at this point. Yeah. Yeah. 100% true. Because there's the Realian Orphanage, there's the URTV program, and now yeah. there's this. Uh-huh. <gasps> wow. And that's it for the narrative portion of this episode. Uh, let's do some party chat. How did that go since this is our first time to fuck around with it? Yeah, I I didn't touch Ziggy, even though his HP is so much higher than everyone else. And I ended up making Chaos my primary healer because Junior and Momo's attacks were so much more potent against like 75% of the enemies. We'll see if that screws me later, but it was it was really fun to be able to kind of like poke through and 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 find roles for for these three characters so far. I made Momo the healer, but only because while her attacks are powerful, she's less versatile when it comes to breaking because she can only hit A. Uh huh. So it's fine for her to take let more time off because Chaos could hit all of the zones. Yeah. Also, this is where I fucked it up and uh, I got I got into because Chaos has way more points than everyone else because he was in the tutorial. Mm-hmm. So uh, I got him into class three and then I'm like, oh, all of these passive de- elemental defense upgrades seem great. And then they turned out to not be passive and equipable. And then oh, I had no. to grind out like 3000 skill points to get him through class three because oh, I did not no. have enough class points to unlock anything else. So everyone is like level 15 by the end of this episode <laughs> already. <laughs> I didn't really go overboard on grinding. I... I tried giving Momo, uh, like, ether uh, attacks, and they were supremely underwhelming uh, because I, I didn't have enough skill points to actually, like, get ice, fire, and lightning. I just had ice, which was totally useless here. Mm-hmm. And so that was pretty disappointing on the Momo front. I gave Ziggy the, like, break skills, uh, like, whatever those skills are that are, like, the knights in uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, to put put enemy defense down, just because I figured like Ziggy would be in a role playing sense the kind of guy to just go and break someone's arms in order to uh, incapacitate them. Yeah, I definitely am making cha- basically making chaos into how chaos played in Xenosaga One because he has all, okay. like, all the elemental spells, right? And getting the weird uh, getting debuff cleansing um, will probably. If I remember how the game goes, I will probably rule of cool the third person, so it will probably be like Cosmos. 
right. um, doing a bunch of buffs, and then a junior is where you just like open up when you have all the buffs and debuffs applied. any other thoughts on this the uh opening of xenosaga episode two other than it's sick which i think we said a lot yeah i mean be well so this is the one thing right is that i do think that it's really sick and hits the ground running except uh and again this uh, i'm just i'm repeating another point but i want to say it in summation because it really does color how i feel about the game so far as a whole the combination of voice direction and new character models makes it a lot harder to connect with the characters themselves, which is going to be a problem when the game gets more emotional. Uh, but right now, you know, one of the strengths of this game is that it's mostly just sick as hell and uh, really like action and tension focused, and it hasn't really focused much on the characters. And what it does is is where it kind of loses it for me so far. Well, this is going to be a rough game for you anyway, because if I remember correctly, this is the Junior show, and mm-hmm. you are not, like, the biggest fan of Junior. It's true. Um, Yeah, I think that you really, like, one thing I thought of playing through this section is you really get the sense of, you know, episode two being the Junior show, but also being, like, very much an episode following up on the first one. It yeah. feels a lot more uh, focused um, because it felt like the new writer sort of saw episode one as laying the groundwork for the series and then they could just kind of run with it here. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say is that they made good use of episode one being a 40 hour universe building prologue. Mm hmm. Yeah, so I was uh, I was impressed with that. It made me sad that this series was cut short because it would have been cool to get more focused episodes of this this kind. But uh, I also definitely saw with those sort of deficiencies in terms of voice acting, you know, new writing staff, all that kind of stuff, how this is really sort of like the antithesis to episode one, which then makes good in the synthesis, which is episode three, where it's like, yeah, you get a cool battle system. Like the voice acting and storytelling is better. It gets more of the space opera stuff in. Like there's a lot of stuff that was good in episode one and stuff that is good in episode two that is combined there. Um, and I think one of the things that you can point to there is just how technically impressive this game is for a PS2 game. And, you know, episode three was made, it was a rush job, but I still think it made good use of that technical foundation that they established uh, here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very totally. excited about episode three. 
I am too. Uh, you know, what I miss from this game is the philosophy shit and the like opera part of the space opera shit. I know that there mm. is some of that in the Albedo and Junior uh, interplay, but like I, I, I miss the the operatic emotions and the uh, philosophical bullshit from Episode One the most. But you know, the 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 game really does make an extremely strong first impression through the first four hours. Yeah, I, I honestly, I I started playing this game and I was like, why do people hate this game? This is, <laughs> this is fucking awesome. This is like, this is like JRP. I mean, I said this about Zero Saga 1 as well, but like, this is like JRPG stuff that you will just never see again because mm-hmm. no one is going to make this kind of investment in a JRPG again. And it's just fucking sick as hell. Uh, so it, it makes a really, really good first impression. Yeah. It's, I think this, I think the, to answer your other question, Chris, I, I yeah, I, I, I agree with you that like, you know, the reputation of Xenosaga 2 is that it fucking sucks. But when you first, uh, yeah, when you first open this up and it's like, wait, why? And, and, you know, maybe this will become the Xenosaga 2 redemption podcast by the end of it. I kind of doubt it, but it is absolutely the Xenosaga 2 opening segments redemption podcast. So I think I remember, Chris, that this game is be like about 30 hours ish uh yeah. and so yeah like like not not like a fifth of the runtime but you know cl- close to that do you guys have anything you want to share with the listeners over here uh yeah sure um so on my podcast uh general intellect unit we have just finished up recording our uh quite extensive uh series on kentucky route zero. Oh hell yeah so we really went for a deep dive on that. Um, it's a great game, and we pulled in pretty much all of the references it's making to literature and music and all this kind of stuff. So if you want a sort of, like, annotated play-along games club experience of that game, please come check it out. Sick. That sounds sick. You can listen to my music on SoundCloud at Catastrophizer or a band that I'm in at Bandcamp.com slash Canon and Deverin or Canon and Deverin.bandcamp.com is what I mean. You can listen to Ryan I's podcast, Lightning Strikes Thrice Extreme, by visiting our Patreon at pitchdrop.cash and kicking in as little as a buck a month. It is this podcast, but about Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO, and it has a plot now. Thank God we're only 21 episodes in. Hooray. <laughs> I've been listening to that, and it's been a good... Uh... A good uh, service podcast as a service. Um. The beginning of that game is uh, extremely bad because uh-huh. every episode that we record in 40 minutes includes six hours of bullshit. It's true. We we are almost a year in and and we are we are <laughs> finally, finally approaching the end of the main campaign. Can't wait to get into the patch cycle, which is equally as long, but less happens in. Yeah, oh, we, we no. I would. I have a plan to try to truncate that, but maybe those details will be important, and I just don't remember them being important. We'll see. Until then, that is all until next time, when we will be discussing what is referred to here as the second Milsha dump episode. So we will see you in two weeks, and we'll be playing until some ghost kids run around. So peace out, fuckers. Farewell. Bye. Catch me at the Moby Dick. (laughs) 